This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Sound Bites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future here on The Mark Steiner Show. From your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Today, we're going to bring you the first part of a town hall meeting I moderated in Baltimore City on food and jobs and how neighborhoods can become more self-sufficient. It was part of our Food and Faith Project, a collaboration with the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health's Center for a Livable Future. This town hall meeting took place in Sandtown, Winchester, which was at the center of the Baltimore Uprising and was the neighborhood where Freddie Gray lived and was arrested. He died in police custody at the age of 25, and I sat down with three members of the faith community who were all working on food issues in interesting ways, from holding large grocery chains accountable for the food they provide to Baltimoreans with limited access to fresh food, to putting people to work through the construction of hoop gardens that can feed their neighbors. Our guests and host, by the way, was Elder C.W. Harris of Strength to Love, Two Farm, and Newborn Holistic Ministries, Antoine Bennett of the New Song Community Church, and Melissa Kelly of No Boundaries Coalition at St. Peter Claver. So I want to welcome you, and I'm going to actually let Elder Harris do the welcoming because we're in his home, and Elder Harris is at the end of the table, who's, uh, of course, Strength to Love Farm and the Newborn Holistic Ministries, and Antoine Bennett is next to him of New Song Community Church, and Melissa Kelly, uh, Kelly, excuse me, from No Boundaries Coalition. And before we begin, I'd, I'd just like to begin and let Elder Harris welcome us to his place and tell us a bit of a story about where we are and why we're here. Well, I'd like to say to everyone, welcome to um, Newborn Holistic Ministries. This is uh, one part of its ministry. Uh, you in the facility of uh, Jubilee Arts. And the... Um, where you're sitting is our dance studio. And um, for those of you all who do not know, those little squares that you see uh, are, are our mirrors, but they're closed. Um, um, you're on historic Pennsylvania Avenue. Pennsylvania Avenue was the, um, uh, the place to be years ago. Uh, live entertainment, all of the um, uh, singers that sung in bygone years and are yet alive, some are yet alive today, traveled through this corridor many years ago. This was a part of the Chitlin Circuit. In other words, from here, they went to the Apollo, but every city had its a uh, place of entertainment uh, for African Americans, and uh, they call it the Chitlin Circuit. So th- this was one of their stops. So the Supremes, Cab Calloway, Louis Armstrong, uh, Billy Holiday, Stevie Wonder. I remember when he started little little Stevie Wonder. Little Stevie Wonder, <laughs> work out, children work out. I got a song, I think. We, you know, we used to go to the Royal Theater to right. see that live entertainment. So uh, welcome. I thank you uh, for being here. And, um, and I welcome you into the communities of Sandtown, Upton, and Druid Heights. Thank you. I'm glad you all came out tonight, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me begin. Um, are we really going to spend this, the next time, with your help, joining in the conversation, exploring 
this community and exploring the power and potential of community and what it can do to change the nature of life and people's lives in terms of not food but beyond food and how that all fits together, how food fits is the centerpiece of all of that and creating a new world. And so, and, and I think you, you, if you look outside here, as you walked in uh, to this place, and Martha's house is across the street. Yes, it is. Uh, it's another very powerful institution that they manage for women. Um, that, and the houses across the street are the ones that Elder Harris put together, which he'll talk about in a moment, for the people coming out, uh, returning citizens and re- renewing their lives and rebuilding an entire community here. You have to understand, this was just not long ago where we're sitting now. People from all over Maryland will come here to buy drugs mm. on these corners. Um, cars will pull up to buy their heroin, buy cocaine, buy crack, whatever it was they were buying. And this is being reclaimed. So we're going to talk about that reclamation during the course of time and how food fits in the center of that. And, and again, let, let, me, let, me, let me just go down the aisle. Let me, let me start at Elder, because I want people to understand what all of you do. Elder Harris, I mean, just talk about, I mean, you, you had this vision, you worked with the people in this community, came from the bottom up, and you, you talk about the food and beyond and, and what's being created here. Let's get a, a feel for what's in this neighborhood. Uh, yes, what's being created is opportunities for folk in our community, especially people who have been forgotten, to have hope. And um, I became... Um, members of organizations which uh, centered their lives around uh, community development. Uh, Gordon Cosby in Washington, D.C. was one of them. And John Perkins, who uh, is the founder of uh, CCDA, and that's Christian Community Development Association. And uh, we holistically work to uh, change communities, but more than that, um, help support um, the lives of those who have lost hope. And, um, and we learn from one another. So um, that's my part. Antoine Bennett, who's beside me, and I've been uh, uh, an example to him. Mm-hmm. And he has his report also. I say all three of our panelists represent churches and religious spiritual communities in this neighborhood. So we can go down that line. So please go ahead, Antoine. Talk a bit about the nature of your work with New Song. Uh, sure. It's uh, sort of multifaceted. Uh, born and raised here in the uh, community of Sandtown. So I uh, certainly have, I'm 44 uh, this year. Uh, I know, I don't look it, but uh, <laughs> 44 uh, years old. So I've seen the Nadar, the lowest point of our community. Uh, I remember crack cocaine when it hit uh, the community, and it hit hard, um, to not, not being at the highest point in the, the total uh, vitality that I know communities can be. Uh, but certainly we're, I think we're hitting plateaus that are, in my opinion, irreversible with home ownership. Uh, with the education of our children, uh, with the uh, connection to gainful employment in our community for the residents. And so the work that New Song has done uh, over the last 27 years has been amazing. I've been personally affected uh, by and have tremendously benefited from uh, New Song. Uh, 
and I don't know at what point we want to talk about Gary's Goods. We can do that along the way. Uh, yep. This is a wonderful uh, uh, store. Uh, this is not the only uh, intersection that has been restored. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what do you call it here? Resurrection intersection. Yes. Uh, and so uh, we have also our resurrection intersection uh, uh, in uh, just two blocks west of here, uh, which is Freshman and Stricker Street, which in my opinion is historically probably the most dangerous intersection uh, that I can remember. Um, I, my life was changed on that very intersection where I shot a man and almost killed him. It was through the grace of God that he did not die. And, I, you know, at, at tender age of 18, I was, uh, had my first big vacation, uh, is what I call it. Uh, but to be able to come back to that intersection uh, through ongoing efforts from a faith-based community and faith-based uh, effort, uh, it just uh, does more than elate my heart. Uh, and I can talk about Gary's Goods and who Gary is and uh, who I am a little bit more moving forward. But the church is dedicated to helping to uh, build characters helping to put the neighbor back in the hood, helping the uh, same young men we see out here and same folks we see out here uh, go from ex-cons to icons, and I can talk about that a little later. Mm -hmm. And I want to introduce now Melissa Kelly with the Boundaries Coalition that comes out of St. Peter Claver, which is a church just catty corner to here, the Roman Catholic Church. Hi, my name is Melissa Kelly. I am the health chair for the No Boundaries Coalition. I'm also a parish member at St. Peter Claver. I'm not a long-term resident of Baltimore. I've been living in Baltimore for four years. I've been in Sandtown for two years. I used to come up here every summer from the time I was 13, probably stopped by the time I was 20. <clears throat> when I came back up here in my 40s, I seen there, there was a tremendous change in Baltimore. Um, the one thing that I noticed when I came up here, I was one day I wanted a banana. And when I asked my husband where could I go down the street to purchase a banana, he told me that I would have to go to a grocery store that was miles from here. And I'm like, for a banana? But if I wanted to go down the street every day and buy me a bottle of vodka, I could do that with no problem. So. That's one of the reasons why I became the health chair at No Boundaries, because I'm sure the one thing that we all have in common is that we like to eat. And over here, we don't have access to healthy foods. We don't have access to a grocery store. We have access to a Save-A-Lot that's not in our community, and I'll speak a little bit later about what's going on with Save-A-Lot and why I won't shop there and why if you live in this community, you shouldn't shop there either. So and we get, I'm going to get to all these stories. Let's begin with, we've all talked about food here, and that's part of what this is about, food and faith. And the idea that these communities once, and Elder Harris, you remember this as a younger man, these communities actually fed themselves. Whether it was the Arabs, whether it was people growing their own gardens, whether well, there's the grocery stores around, there was food here. And livestock. And livestock mm -hmm. here. Yes, it was. Chicken. We raised chicken. <laughs> and I won't tell you about the hog we had. <laughs> that, was, that was illegal. <laughs> but, but, but chicken. And, and, and you've watched that deteriorate over the years. Over the years, um, well, there was an ordinance and we could not raise chickens any longer in, 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 in the community. 
So um, yes, that all that all changed, uh, uh, along with uh, the loss of of jobs because of Bethlehem Steel closing down, and um, and and uh, uh, Black Flight and integration had to do a lot with that, you know. So let's talk about the rebuilding of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you started out, but you, you had this vision that began in the, that, that that communities could actually begin to take care of themselves. Oh, absolutely. Right? And so this, 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 you began it, but you had this larger vision of what the farm could do, what farming can do in this community. Absolutely. Um, uh, f- farming was a staple of our existence. And um, it is a, a, a staple that has been forgotten. Uh, we 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 purchased pro, uh, processed foods and 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 we became weaker, sicker, and um, and we need to go back to uh, Mother Earth and go back to planting, canning, uh, the way that my uh, my parents used to do. So um, what we decided to do, along with the city was to um, install um, these crop squares, six hoop homes. We count as a crop square, and we are able to hire returning citizens from incarceration to, um, uh, to do the gardening. And um, that's, our, that's our beginning. Uh, I, I partner with uh, big, big city farms, uh, that's uh, pretty much ran by uh, Ted Rouse and his crew. And uh, so he's a for-profit. I'm non-profit. I grow, and he um, uh, distributes. And that's what we are doing. Also, uh, our folks in Radio Land can't see this wonderful uh, picture here that um, I received $1,000 for, $5,000 for, uh, I became the People's Choice Awards for this drawing that you all see here today, and we hope to plant this across the street from where you are. So these are our efforts, along with the efforts of other farmers, like they used to do in bygone years, to bring uh, food here, food that won't harm us, organic vegetables, fruits, so that um, we don't have to go 10,000 years away from here to receive what's nourishing to our body. And, and one of the things we talked about before we began, Melissa, uh, just to, um, to you, you mentioned Save a Lot earlier, mm-hmm. and which is probably the closest large grocery store. Yes, it's um, right on Pennsylvania Avenue, and there's another one on McMaxon Street. So you did a little survey about Save a Lot's. We did. Um, no Boundaries has been surveying Save-A-Lot for the last year. We have surveyed every Save-A-Lot in pretty much every community in Baltimore City. And we found at the Save-A-Lots on East Caroline Street, Pennsylvania Avenue, and McMeckin, which is in a prominent community, but still that's only where the African-American community has to go shop that's close to here. Those are the only three stores that we found out that were selling expired foods. 
Um, in April, I had a meeting with the corporate manager and the regional manager of Save-A-Lot. I went in with about eight bags of groceries of expired foods. I had our treasurer with me, which is, she is also an attorney. Um, needless to say, there were other community leaders there. They did not want me to make my presentation in front of the public. We had some type of words because I'm like, you are selling expired foods to the community. Eventually, after the community leader meeting was over, I got to meet with the corporate manager and the regional manager and got to show my presentation to them. They promised me another meeting in one month where me and our coordinator would do a walkthrough through the store to make sure there were no expired foods in there. A few weeks ago, I went to save a lot, and I have pictures on my phone if anybody would like to come up and see them. And it's just a couple of things that I took pictures of in the frozen food section. One of them has an expiration date of August 23, 2014. The other one has an expiration date of January 21, 2015. So I emailed Save-A-Lot and let them know that we didn't have our meeting in a month. Because of the rioting, I gave them a couple more weeks to get their stores back together. So when I emailed, I told them they had until last Friday to respond to me, 4 o'clock, end of the day. They didn't respond to me, so my next steps are to go to every news channel, every newspaper, and blast Save-A-Lot and let them know that they are selling expired foods only in the African-American community. And just like Elder Harris was saying about the processed foods, and you wonder while our people have more diseases than anybody else, and while our people are dying in these streets every day, if the only grocery store that we can shop at is selling expired foods. And most people, when you go to the grocery store and you're purchasing pot pies and your TV dinners, you're not looking at the expiration dates. You're trusting that that store is not selling expired foods. People can die from food poisoning. If you're eating something that has expired in a year and a half, like they're killing you. And they didn't care. They did not care at all. They didn't want to meet with me. We had to press and press for us to have that meeting. And they had an attitude with me because I walked through their store. <laughs> they told me I didn't legally have the right to do that as a consumer and a health advocate and a person that just cares about people in general, period. I have the right to go through a store and look and see if what I'm getting ready to purchase is expired or not. You're getting my money. So the one thing that I'm trying to do with Save-A-Lot is I was just speaking to our health coordinator just now. I would like to try to do with picket signs in front of Save-A-Lot. They are selling expired foods and I need as many people standing behind me as possible so they can see this and maybe they will stop selling the expired foods in the community which is inhumane and is against the law. Or should, I mean, should be. should be against the law. But they're like, okay, call the Food and Drug Administration, which I've emailed them too. I haven't got a response yet. But selling expired foods and is against the law. And we were partnered, and we're still partnered, with Baltimore City Health Department. And they were there at the meeting, and they knew that I was going to do my presentation. But they threw me under the bus and acted like they didn't know why I was there and what I was bringing so the next day, they sent me an email for me to email, dial 311, call 311 about expired foods. Like, are you kidding me? You're the health department. You can shut this store down. 
That, I think that, I'm going to come back to this, because I think it's emblematic of what has to change and where we have to go. And, and Antoine, I, I want to, and I think also the stuff that you, that you began, I just want to get your stories out first so we can kind of tie them together here. Mm-hmm. What you all began in, where, where you all live, with Gary's Goods. Yes. And I remember when, when you all came on my show five years ago, whatever that was. It was when Gary's, when we first, were both younger. <laughs> <laughs> But the idea, and we joked about it being the Starbucks in the hood. Yes. But that there's a, there's a vision there, too, about what can be. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, Gary's Goods, uh, and Gary is a, Gary Palmer uh, is a lifelong resident of Sandtown as well. And, <clears throat> excuse me, his, his desire was to, at some point, be a proprietor in the community. He was, uh, at that point, a new homeowner and um, had came from... Uh, like many of us growing up in the hood from, you know, check it pass. Uh, and through his work with uh, New Song and working in the community and Newborn, uh, he, he realized that he wanted to give back in a much more deeper way. And so in short, in 2006, we began planning the opening of uh, what uh, was to be Gary's Goods, uh, as Gary as the prime, primary owner and me as a uh, silent partner. And... Um, I think what made Gary's Goods unique was that we did not have great store, any type of protective uh, items on our windows, uh, no bars, anything like that. And so it's just quarter of inch thick plexiglass, well, glass rather, uh, two plane glass uh, on the outside. And, and what I think really appealed uh, to our community when you entered uh, Gary's Goods, there was no plexiglass on the inside. And so there was a real uh, sort of customer uh, to merchant uh, uh, relationship there. And it was intentional. It was intentional. And in short, uh, we were open four years uh, before we uh, decided that we needed to shut down and regroup. And I can explain later uh, what, what has happened since then. Uh, but I can tell you, in four years, uh, we have never been robbed, uh, be it strong arm robbery, be it gun. Uh, and we stayed open uh, uh, mornings. Early in the morning, we opened to uh, being open uh, fairly late at night uh, in the summer hours. And so, but you know, we had a few simple rules of two pairs, two people, two employees per shift. Um, we had cameras. Uh, there's a saying, an Arabic saying that says, uh, "Trust God, but top your camel." So we wasn't totally uh, <laughs> idiotic, and uh, you know, but uh, but in terms of our messaging to the community, uh, at least for our standpoint. Uh, we wanted to uh, demonstrate that um, if the community is not safe, we're not going to be safe. And uh, also demonstrate a faith in our uh, residents um, here in Santa. Um, I, I, we have had, uh, of course, chewing gum uh, to be taken, and they were by our kindergartners who attended our New Song School. Um, but we, we don't have any hard stories to go behind that. And Gary's Goods was an opportunity of empowerment. Truly it was. Uh, our opening, we were able to hire, uh, in addition to Gary, uh, seven employees from the neighborhood. Uh, our, our youth participated in the uh, logo competition of which, you know, so the Gary's Goods logo, which is the double G inside of a coffee mug, was uh, actually designed fully by a sixth grader who attended our school, who lived down the street from Gary's Goods. This is the type of messaging 
you know, this is the type of little small steps of um, encouraging the community that there's a lot of talent in this community. There's a lot of beauty in this community. We just got to, you know, step out there and show it. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on your source for Cool Jazz and More, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We're about to pull out an archived edition from our series Sound Bites. It's a town hall I moderated in partnership with the Hopkins Baltimore Food and Faith Project. We were joined by Elders C.W. Harris, Antoine Bennett, and Melissa Kelly, and others, all of whom are members of the faith community who are working on food and employment issues in really powerfully new and dynamic ways. You're going to enjoy this conversation. Here it comes. So uh, I really want to kind of wrestle and talk about with you all the, the, this, this uh, um, the, the idea of potential, of what can be. And one of the things that uh, L.C.L.V. Harris and I talked about a little bit before we started here was something that came up has been coming up in my radio program a lot when people have been wrestling with the question of violence in communities and where to go and what to do in housing. And what's part of the dynamic has been from people speaking on the air is that nobody's listening to or understanding that the leadership exists. In, by nobody, I mean people in power. Yes. People in, pol- in the political power, people in the philanthropic power don't get that the leadership already exists, yes. that it's here in these communities. Absolutely. And people in the communities have the answers. Absolutely. They don't have to be told the answers. No. Do not have to be told, and I agree with you uh, 100%. First of all, in 1997, there was a survey. In the 72-square-block area of Sandtown, there are 52 church in the 72-square-block area. Now, a recent survey was taken by uh, Elder... um, Antoine and Dr. Lewis Wilson, and they found that uh, 35. So uh, the church are the moral compass of the community. So right then, that's potential. And uh, we have a group called the uh, Cuts Group, which is Clergy United for the Transformation of Sandtown which are uniting these churches together so that we can um, show how we are the moral compass of the community and be able to receive the respect that we used to in bygone years. Unless you were talking about a survey you all did, right? um, We did a survey, a listing campaign with the corner stores. Right. We're also partnered with Baltimore City Health Department in that. And what we did, we interviewed about 40 corner stores about selling healthy foods, produce into their stores. Out of those 40 stores, we picked four stores. Lafayette Market, Mosier Market, Everything is Cheap, and I can't remember the name of the other market. Um, The one on Lafayette Market, that was like our pallet store, she has pretty much agreed to everything that we have asked her to do. She is all about the community. Um, the refrigeration that she had in her store, she told us the only way that she could do it is if she had a better refrigerator. So No Boundaries purchased her a refrigerator. 
Um, we will do anything that we can do for the stores to com just commit to us to sell healthier foods in their stores. We also will be starting another listening campaign July 1st where we will be picking for more stores. Um, altogether, I think we're going to have 12 stores. And then I believe we're going to branch out of this community once we get enough in this community, and we're going to go to other communities that may possibly need their corner stores to sell fresh foods as well. So, I, I, again, let me, let me push where we were going before a moment. Uh, is, is the idea of, of, a, of what could be. You know, I mean, I know that when you talked, when we, when we, at the beginning of this, in the beginning of the farm, uh, Elder Harris, it had to do with, um, with, with, uh, with, uh, the company that you all worked with, with Ted Ross's company, real, 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 yes, Big yeah, City Farms. Right. Big City, Big City Farm. Farms. I couldn't mm -hmm. get near my head from Big City Farms. But the other vision is how people feed themselves. Mm -hmm. The other vision is how you feed a community. What does it mean for a community to control its own food? And how the three of you think we get there in this part, in this west side part of our town? Mm -hmm. How we get to the point where people actually control what goes on around them? Mm -hmm. Well, keeping the money in the community mm -hmm. is, 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 is one thing. Uh, we have to, um, it's called uh, asset base. We have to really uh, discover those uh, uh, entities that's in the community that are successful. And we have to support them to the hilt that they can expand as as was mentioned by uh, Sister Melissa, that um, uh, one who was willing to work with us needed help with their freezer. So what we did, we got together and we made sure that she had what she needed. That need to be um, something done uh, throughout all of our uh, 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 servants, our political servants, uh, in supporting us that way, we have the potential here to 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 make that change. So when we do that, we are uh, we are able to spend within our communities, and we are able to take control, um, uh, as as uh, the scripture uh, teaches us, occupy until they come. We are able to take back what was taken from us, and uh, uh, and then. We don't, um, uh, as, as Ray Charles saying, we're not asking for a handout but a hand and, and, and because we can do the rest. Mm -hmm. Antoine, what were you about to say? Well, I think that um, uh, just a few thoughts. One, I think that it's very important for us to get behind those who are leading the way. Uh, and when I say us, I'm talking about primarily the uh, community and specifically the community leaders. Uh, I think that 100% moving forward, uh, being behind no boundaries and, and uh, strength of love to you as they uh, endeavor, go on this endeavor, uh, not on our behalf, but in partnership with us. Uh, and so and in addition to that, you can't talk about food, healthy food, and not talk about jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. You can right. have, you can have a, a table full of healthy food. You can have a, a hell of a banquet, excuse my French. But if nobody can afford to get, uh, pay to get in, it's a moot point. And so we have to have this intersection uh, or this parallel track that's always dancing together. Uh, and so it's the leadership development piece. is to get behind those who are becoming mavens in this effort, experts in this effort. 
and also to always keep in mind that employment is still a problem or lack thereof. It's still a, it's, we're not past that. We're not past that. We don't, we don't have deadbeat dads in our community. We have dead broke dads in our community. Say that again. We don't have deadbeat dads in our community. We have dead broke dads in our community. <laughs> we, we, that's a myth we have to break. Yes. 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 Another yes. myth. Another myth. <laughs> a myth we have to break. You can quote me on that, and I say that very humbly. <laughs> and so, but let, 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 so one of the words that I think Elder Harris used earlier, and let me this, this, wrestle with this word for a moment, talk about what it means in terms of jobs that can take place out of the world of food in, the, in communities here. Um, when we, you said returning citizens. Yes. Citizens coming home. Home right? from incarceration. Right. So I think it's an important point to think about people as citizens coming yeah, home. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's a concept. And that's, so my, ter- that's my term, too. Right? Um, I got I'm, I'm going to use it now. <laughs> I'll give you credit once in a while, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> but I, I think that, that let's talk about that. I mean, I, I, I really want to kind of begin to get from the three of you. Three of you all are spiritual leaders mm-hmm. in this community. Uh, who come from that place? Yes, um, and that this conversation is about the intersection of food and faith, mm-hmm. and where that power comes from. Mm-hmm. But part of that power has to be in people making a living, jobs to take care of families, and a part of it can happen in this world of food. Yes, let's talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yes. How you see that? How you all see that? Well, uh, as as I forestated, we have. Uh, 18 hoops on uh, Monroe and Lorman. Uh, we have hired up to six people already uh, uh, in that effort. Uh, and we are rehiring now. So um, it is, um, we're always eating. And, um, and some of our food is going to Johns Hopkins. Uh, university. So I'm proud of that fact. Uh, so um, this is a way where people who learn how to uh, grow vegetables and uh, uh, fruit can receive income uh, at wages that's pleasant to the heart, soul, and pocket. Um, uh, and and able to survive, able to take care of their home, able to uh, take care of the things that they need, those staples in life. So that's here in the community, and it's and it's within the community, and it is passing itself around, beginning at the farm. So, I mean, what what are your thoughts about what that could really be? I mean, I know that uh, Antoine. They're going to go right to Melissa. I mean, that you you work with returning citizens every day, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, uh, so what what could this really do? I mean, what's the vision of where this could? You know, when you look at this drawing that Elder Harris has here of the potential farm to be built, stores to be built on these two corner lots right here, mm-hmm. what that could bring in. So, I want to talk about the potential of the, the, the empowering community to create jobs for men and women who live here and who are coming home. Well, I, I think that's, that's what you just said is very key, um, the, the place-based part of this. Uh, we, we want our uh, youth and our young adults, particularly our males, to stop selling weed on the corner. What better way to get them to do that than to trade the vegetation, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
I mean, I'm not trying to entertain here, but I'm, you know, if I don't, I'm under a lot of pressure. And if I don't look at this thing sort of with a humorous spirit or, you know, a very realistic spirit, I'll get swallowed up and we'll get swallowed up in the work that we, it's just that heavy. It's a matter of life and death. And encouragement, this encouragement factor, enforcement of, you know, positive uh, encouragement, uh, having these young men to be employed uh, in a community uh, of which they have uh, created absolute havoc in some cases, have con- greatly concerned the community, and have them have that transition take place in that same place is well, very important. Well, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, but th- we're not in- reinventing the wheel. No. There's a program in Frisco that's the, that is the Lancy Street Project. Right. And, and, and all we're doing is duplicating that process here on the east side. And, and it is working marvelously with those returning citizens from incarceration. I'm that's a good point. They, everything. They're they running everything over there. And folk are dying to hire them. They are able to start their own businesses, but folk are dying to hire them. They can't wait till they finish the program so they can, so they can be hired. And it's important if, if you have young folk who are already doing the right thing and they take on these jobs in the community. You really don't make the impact, but if you have somebody who's been through something, take on these jobs. You know, then you start to see the real change. Now, I'm not saying, and I don't want nobody to quote me, A students, they don't need our attention. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we know and we saw, uh, if, if the uprising didn't teach us anything, it taught us that, you know, there's a real pain out there. You know, and it, it belongs to a segment of our community that we have uh, sort of neglected, you know. Uh, I won't say it absolutely, but we sort of neglected them. And so uh, this idea of having those same pocket of folk, uh, again, being uh, experts in their own life, in the same community of which they call home, many do not want to leave Baltimore City. Many do not want to leave Santa. Have them uh, have opportunities of which they can go from being feared to cheered. You know, you'll start to see a real turnaround, and that's what I'm seeing in my work with them uh, through 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 the church. Melissa, jump in here with this. Um, I do agree with Elder Harris about keeping the money in your community. I believe if the money was kept in your community, then you would have the money to have places that sold food, grocery stores, things like that. Um, And food does bring community together. After the uprising, um, we we have someone in this room that organized a food drive at St. Peter Claver Church. And we fed over 450 families with that food distribution. And the night after the uprising, we had about 80 people at the church, and we ordered pizza, and we all sat down together, and we talked as a community and experienced our pain and everything together. So food does bring community together. I, I, I work for the administration department at Goodwill. I, Goodwill's whole mission is to help people. That's their whole entire mission. So I went to our CEO, like, we need jobs in our community. They were like they needed free space. So my priest offered the free space at the hall. So Goodwill is going to give four career fairs a year in the hall and only hire 
residents from 21217 from these career fairs that take place over here. If they need um, training in how to write a resume, how to have the interview, or need training to and more skills. If they're not skilled, like in working clerical, they can get the skills. And at the end of the programs, they don't necessarily have to have a job through Goodwill because Goodwill is partnered with um, other places, Bond Secures, John Hopkins. Uh, we have contracts at Fort Meade, Social Security. So they could, through the training and the program, they could actually, that would give them hope and hopefully they can be hired. If you have a thought, please raise your hand. I want to come out there and hear what you all uh, have to say about where we are now in this community and what you think the vision of the future could be. And I'm really more and more interested in the vision of the future and in practical terms how it can be built because the vision part of this community is the idea of these permanent greenhouses being built here that can feed people and hire people. And by the way, we can have chickens in Baltimore. And we'll, <laughs> just can't have a rooster. <laughs> you can have a chicken and goats. Hmm. <coughs> I, think, I don't know if you no, have male goats or not, but I don't know if you have a goat. Goats, goats. So anybody out here want to jump into this conversation? Let me go out here. Okay, good. Hold on to this. Uh, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. You are? I'm uh, Matthew Loftus. I've uh, lived in St. Tom for five years now. Doctor. Um, yeah, doctor. Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, my question to you guys is um, connecting the provision and the uh, consumption. So um, I know one of the challenges with Gary's Goods was just related to the fact that um, it was hard to keep the business, you know, keep the business sustaining based with the customers, uh, with having enough customers, buying enough things to keep it running. Um, I know that, uh, you know, the the current strength to love to farm is great, um, but it's still most of the lettuce that is grown is um, purchased and eaten outside of the community. Um, so how do we connect it? How do we connect the what what is grown here and what is built here uh, with um, the needs of um, customers and consumers here in Sandtown and? Uh, to what degree does that limit our ability to scale? You know, you know the, the people that are being helped right now are absolutely being helped, um, but how many people do you think we could employ with a, if we just kept scaling the system up? Good question. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we are a new young group. We're, we're going to have our um, farmer's market in um, uh, the not-too-distant future, and we will be able to serve uh, the community. Uh, that's, that's number one. Uh, the second question was, um, oh, how many people we can hire? Uh, a crop square takes about three people, uh, and that's, that's a little fuzzy. So uh, if we continue to build these crop squares, Every, every six hoops, we're able to hire three or four people. So uh, that's a plus. And, um, and of course, uh, if we expand and then we're ever learning, we learn how to distribute. That's more job and more money. 
or as we say in the hood, mo money. <laughs> um, the one thing like No Boundaries just did, we just hired a healthy food organizer. We got a grant, so we were able to hire a healthy food organizer and pay them $15,000 for six months. And the more funding we get in, we will keep hiring residents in the 21217 zip code. We are also getting ready to open up a stall in the Avenue Market to sell fresh produce and healthy vegetables. Um, the only problem that we've been having is securing a vendor, and Daryl told me tonight that you know he knows vendors, so I'll be calling Daryl tomorrow at work, and we'll be discussing it. Um, another, and how I met Daryl was funny. Last year, Baltimore had their first ever healthy food forum at Lexington Market, and Daryl had his book of his food and faith project. And I was standing at his table reading it, and it was really interesting. So I connected with him. And in connecting with Daryl, when we did our messaging campaign, Daryl, I wrote a little article, and he gave us $500 towards our messaging campaign. And we had our messaging campaign at Lafayette Market, where State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby, Councilman Nick Mosby, and their daughters came, other members of our organization, came and took pictures of, like, standing with healthy foods and water, which will be going up around the grocery stores in Baltimore. So the way that everything is going to work is if we all partner together. But sometimes the community leaders cannot do it all by themselves. We need help from the residents. The more voices that we have, the more we will be heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would That's agree. I, I think intentional collaborations are uh, like, I, I was just sitting here thinking if Gary's Goods had some overlap with the Hoop Farms, which it wasn't. Hoop Farms came, uh, came uh, years after. Well, a few years after Gary's Goods, but imagine, because uh, we were always asked, uh, particularly in our second year, third year, well, why don't you have more healthy product? Not that we sold a bunch of, we certainly didn't sell anything expired, uh, but, uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, I would expect you. Yeah. We were running a business, uh, correct, uh, and, and I think that it was uh, incremental uh, thing that, that needed to take place in terms of uh, uh, food preference uh, from our neighbors. Uh, and we did introduce some healthy things uh, towards the sort of tail end of uh, Gary's Goods. But uh, imagine that uh, conversation uh, that would have taken place and, and, and employment opportunity. Like I said, we hired seven folks. Uh, Elder Harris uh, hired, uh, I think he started out with six, six mm -hmm. folk. Uh, but, and, but our folk were uh, part-time. Imagine the overlap that could have taken place. Uh, so we would have generated a, a livable wage for those individuals who were working for both. And I think those type of uh, conversations uh, was going to be key. Um, and I think that the commitment to having intentional collaborations moving forward, you know, because if you have it in pockets here and there and other things going on, uh, you, you won't have it. I mean, you, you look at your hand. I mean, this makes a, a strong bang if I close these digits. But if it's open, I may just break my fingers. Uh, if I plan on banging this table, if I plan on making an impact, uh, it's going to take folks coming together. And I know it's easier said than done. Uh, and it is a, it's a leadership thing, uh, coupled with 
uh, having uh, folks from the community who at least give care a little bit about, you know, and they can grow in their, ed in their education as it relates to uh, healthy foods and employment, because I do think that they're dance partners. I want us to walk away with that, and I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence. Like, you don't know that, but I'm reinforcing if you do. They're dance partners. They're dance partners. Healthy food and jobs. Anybody else out here want to say something? Question? Thought? Idea? I'll come over here. So as I, as I run the next one, I have a political question on the way over to our next person. When we talked to about Save-A-Lot and what they're selling, mm -hmm. and we know that, that, that most people are going to buy their food from supermarkets, and they're going to buy their food from the closest store they have, which is a corner store. Um, the A-Rabbers are not on the street like they used to be, in the numbers they used to be, selling fresher food. Mm -hmm. So what's the political pressure that has to be pulled, put to make those changes? I mean, you talked a little bit ago, Melissa, about... About um, people stay, huh? People standing with you. Yes. Outside, save a lot, saying, "Yes, this is illegal. You cannot sell these. Same, yes. You shouldn't be shopping here." But what's the political pressure that has to happen to change that that dynamic when it comes to food in the community? What do you all think? Um, we have to keep pushing save a lot, and that's one of the reasons why I'm going to the media because once save a lot sees that I'm blasting them out, no store, if they want to stay in business and continue making money, is not going to do that. I do need people standing behind me. The more people I have standing behind me, then they will change. Our, you know, I need to have more meetings with our political leaders and let them know what is going on in our community because they can help change that as well. Another thing, um, oh, well, no boundaries. <laughs> no boundaries is hooked up with uh, um, build. And uh, we are hooking ourselves up together with uh, One Baltimore. And uh, there will be a big meeting uh, on the 18th uh, uh, at St. Peter Claver's. One Baltimore, no boundaries. Myself, yeah, along we'll with uh, um, other groups, mm -hmm. we are, are stirring up the political strength that we need to bring about the change that w changes that we're asking for. So that's the church, the community, and uh, uh, our public servants working together. And it takes the three of us to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the 18th, and, and, and it'll be 6 o'clock across the street. I would love to have to see all of you all there. God bless you. I think that um, in addition to uh, political pressure, and that takes advocacy, uh, what uh, these wonderful folks are talking about, but it, also I think that you, you'll see an attitude with, uh, in my, my opinion, you'll see an attitude with uh, Save a Lot because they are the only market. So you got to think about, as you're putting pressure on them, also put some energy behind bringing a store here, a market here. Nothing changes the attitude of a, of a market like another market coming in. Uh, to uh, and, right, and to speak on that, the meeting that night, like me and the corporate manager butted heads. And, you know, it was unprofessional, but there was voices raised and everything because – she acted like she didn't care. And I'm like, you are killing people. So I made my voice be heard with her. And if I had to 
over talk her or so I've already caught the attitude from Save a Lot. I've sure. already caught that. I don't <laughs> care about the attitude because right is right and wrong sure. is wrong. And I've also been working with the city, the planning commission of the city to try to bring an affordable grocery store in Sandtown. What I have to do is try to find 40,000 square feet, even abandoned houses, and see, deal with the city, see how we can acquire those abandoned houses, and do another listening campaign with the residents and ask them how they would feel about bringing a grocery store into their community. So that has been in the works for a few months, and I will continue to push that, but... Right now, my main concern is to save a lot and sell it. This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Soundbites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future here on The Mark Steiner Show. From your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We're going to bring you the second part of a town hall meeting I moderated in Sandtown, Winchester. When the uprising occurred in the wake of Freddie Gray's death, it was in his neighborhood, Sandtown, Winchester, an old black working-class community that now has become a food desert. The only stores that exist are corner stores selling chips, sodas, canned food, and liquor. So how much does this condition contribute to the frustrations of the people, and what can be done about it? So what you're going to hear is a town meeting that we convened with our partners, the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health Center for Liberal Futures Food and Faith Project, where we brought together faith leaders from three churches in Sandtown that are working to strengthen and transform the community. It was only appropriate to have this conversation at the center of where the Baltimore uprising took place and the neighborhood where Freddie Gray lived and was arrested. So I sat down with three members of the faith community who are all working on these food issues in interesting ways, from holding large grocery store chains accountable for the food they provide and sell to Baltimoreans with limited access to fresh food, to putting people to work through the construction of hoop gardens in their neighborhoods. And our guests were Elder C.W. Harris, Strength to Love to Farm and New Born Holistic Ministries, Antoine Bennett from the New Song Community Church, and Melissa Kelly from St. Peter Claver's Catholic Church's No Boundaries Coalition. We start with a question from the audience. Hi, my name is Candice. Um, I go to New Song Church. And I just had a question about the, um, I'm looking at your schematic there. I know that people on the radio can't see it, but um, Antoine, you talked about a parallel between employment and, um, you know, food. And I was thinking about the food system having components with consumption. You know, even wealthy people don't have time to eat nowadays. And like the vegetables need to somehow get processed to make it, you know, not always, like every, it takes time to cook from scratch. So I guess my question is, are there any potential partnerships within restaurants or, you know, culinary um, programs that maybe can partner um, to sort of see this expand and create more jobs? Sure. You have an example, and if I may take a stab at uh, Dr. DeWitt, what's his last name? Dr. DeWitt, who uh, by trade and profession is a uh, chef. And what he has been uh, doing over the few years have been uh, training men and women in the culinary field. And uh, out of that training, they have been gaining employment directly into that culinary field. And I think that having a conversation with the the, the wits of this city, and particularly of this community, because uh, there's a lot of wonderful cooks in this community that we don't know about. Some of them are under what you call the gray business. I mean, the ones, you know, I ain't mentioning no names, but they ain't paying taxes. But uh, <laughs> but they're there. 
they're there, uh, and they know how to cook a healthy meal. And so connecting to this great business with Dr. DeWitt's effort, with these hoop farms and with this advocacy that's going on is, is what it takes. There's a lot of construction that's coming through Baltimore City. I'm thinking that uh, you have uh, somebody going out of this, uh, and I'm just speaking off the top of my head, going out of the gray business who said he fell in love with uh, Elder Harris's work there and they shown off her the, uh, you know, the advocacy piece from um, Melissa in No Boundaries, and they learn from Dr. DeWitt. They get a cart. They go out and they sit outside of these uh, construction sites and sell healthy dishes. Now, that's not necessary to the community, but it does answer the issue of uh, employment, educational uh, and employment opportunities for the residents of the community. Just thinking off the top. Of now, Dr. DeWitt is a, a, I think he's a professor at one of the colleges that teaches uh, culinary arts. Uh, you can't see the chart, but culinary art training is a part of what I have up here and uh, we will also have a place where folk can sit down and eat uh, healthy food. It's all a part of the program. It is. And I, and I think, you know, we're talking about gray, <laughs> the, gray, the gray economy. It, that's something that we don't think about in terms of turning it into an economy that is stable, that has always been there, yes. and making it real. Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and how many dozens of, especially women, are there selling food in neighborhoods yes. out of their mm-hmm. kitchen and what that can mm-hmm. be turned into. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? And how that fits into all this plan here. Absolutely. I'm just not going to tell you who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know right now. <laughs> Anybody else out here? I know. Aha. Hi, my name is Amelia. So speaking on the aspect of the, the gray economy, I'm also aware of a guy who's got um, a tilapia farm in his, an aquaculture tilapia farm in his basement. I'm not going to tell you what intersection it's at, but it's a very notorious <laughs> intersection. And um, it strikes me that when we talk about going to scale, which somebody um, brought earlier, that sometimes I think that's the wrong question. Sometimes it seems to me that um, local solutions might look very local. So although what you're... Part of what you're talking about with Strength to Love is modeled on something in Frisco. We still might have things, whether that's the A-rabbers, that it's really only ever going to work here. But what do we need to do to get the health department paying more attention to Save-A-Lot's expired foods and less attention to the A-rabbers um, when we talk about the, the kickbacks that big corporations get but that a guy with a tilapia farm in his basement is never going to be cut any slack so he stays in the gray economy and the A-Rabber's horses aren't being taken care of because nobody's servicing horses in the city because that's just an awkward thing for us. But it's some of the area where I feel just where scale is the wrong measure. We have solutions here. They're not going to look right if they go big, and bureaucracy might, in fact, kill them. But So how do we adjust ourselves and our expectations um, into a more local into a more into more local solutions. Uh, uh, we have a uh, um, an Arab station over here on uh, 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 Fremont, Fremont Avenue, and, um, and 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 Sandtown has always been that uh, uh, community that housed those uh, the animals. Uh, but uh, we can improve, and this is what we said. That is a, a business. Uh, uh, these guys are working. They're out in the hot sun with their whole, you know, we can improve that. And and so we're, we're going to talk about uh, that 
at One Baltimore, how can we prove uh, uh, the asset base, the, the, these organizations that's really doing something, and we can, we can really uh, put our forces behind it and change the outlook of this community. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, what, what, what was your name again? I'm sorry. Amelia. Amelia, thank mm-hmm. you. Sorry. What, what Amelia was saying, I think, is, is something that is, is kind of important to pursue, again, from the bottom up, from the community out. I mean, it's true that when sometimes things come in from the outside, they become bureaucratic, top-down, they forget what's already here, what's indigenous to the neighborhood, what people do. And, you know, ARAP has been around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. For a long time. And I've always thought, I'll throw this idea out, I mean, ARAPers are like maybe our answer to a food distribution system that isn't always in a store. Absolutely. Right? When I think of Damien and Black's, who has a company called Black Sauce, this little nouveau soul thing he does out in people's all over the place, they try to get Damien to go into a restaurant. And he said, Damien said, I don't want to be in a restaurant. I don't want <coughs> this overhead. I want to be free and be able to cook mm-hmm. and make a living and hire people and do what I do. So maybe the answers are not the standard establishment answers mm-hmm. about where you go and what you do, whether it's farming, whether it's tilapia in the basement. I mean, I can, quick story, my grandfather, um, who, even though he was Jewish and living in the, in the, the east side Jewish ghetto here in Baltimore he, in the early 1900s, um, Jews weren't supposed to eat crabs. My grandfather used to raise crabs in his bathtub to sell to all the people who weren't supposed to be eating crabs. Mm. <laughs> it's all that black market. And then that gray economy has always existed, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I tell that story to say he did other things in the bathtub that were doing prohibition as well for things that people wanted that they couldn't get when they wanted. <laughs> but, but I'm saying that to say that maybe our answers are not always in the establishment. Maybe our answers are already here in kind of what you can build out and control when people can live and survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God deals in conversations, and I think what you're, you, you, you said it best. I mean, I, th- I think it starts with a conversation. That's not something that's happening all over the place, uh, particularly <coughs> in, in the localized, in the community, uh, meetings and com- at least the ones I attend uh, on on the steps or anything, people are just doing it. They're living their lives, and, and, and to organize around that is certainly uh, because of, uh, I guess, the legal aspect. It's not a, but I think having those conversations and uh, assuring that it doesn't have to be an established establishment thing, but it can be legitimized. Uh, it started with a conversation with Jesus, <laughs> and then he said, "The party is at your house." And then they broke bread, and and and, and things expanded, and, um, and and we can we can do the same thing too. Mm-hmm. Nothing new. One thing, um, no boundaries did for our safety um, committee, which I think we're going to do one for our health committee too. We had a meeting with all of the council people, um, the comptroller, and other departments and we had a round table where the community the council people had to sit down and take notes and listen to the residents and share out what the residents needed and wanted so we're thinking about doing that for health too and they promised us a couple of things and we have to get back in contact to see if they're going to keep their promises but the one thing that that made them do was listen to the residents 
And the thing that we told them, we don't need you necessarily bringing new stuff in here. We need you to build on to what's already here. And I hope I don't offend anyone because I don't particularly like our mayor. But the one thing that I did agree with what she said on the news last night is a lot of the liquor stores that got destroyed during the rioting, she, they are not, the city is not going to help them rebuild it as liquor stores. But if they want to rebuild it as a healthy food store or dry cleaners or something of that, then the city would help them rebuild it. So that right there gives us hope in our community because if you take out some of the liquor stores you're going to take out some of the violence which is going to decrease the crime in the community let me go out. do you want to say something Daryl? Sure, I have a you have a question yeah, <laughs> even you yeah. all right okay um i'm a big fan of all the work that, that each of you are doing and um melissa just talked about um um the fires and and some of the some of the things that happened uh, around Freddie Gray. And I'm wondering, like, how that motivated you or demotivated you in your work, how the, the, the riots and the aftermath. Uh, I had a lot of emotions with the riots, um, particularly, you know, sitting on my couch crying while the mayor let our city burn up and be destroyed. Um, and thank God for community because when Elder Harris is, um, one of his gardens caught on fire, the community came together and helped him put that out because we couldn't depend on um, the police and our leaders. But that made me like, okay, you know, all of this, like, it's wrong. It's so much stuff wrong in Baltimore City, and I'm like, it's wrong. I'm, I'm going to fight. I'm going to continue to fight until we, our streets are safe, our children quit dying in the streets every day until we have a grocery store because our community has the right to eat too, just like the communities in the suburbs or in Baltimore County. I mean, we have the right to eat. So I'm just going to keep fighting. The one thing I always, it was a tragedy. It, it was a tragedy, but I do believe out of that tragedy and much attention as Sandtown and No Boundaries and the other organizations have had that we are going to get blessings out of the tragedy. Well, it up my responsibility as a servant leader. I have, I've, I've been taken to another level. And so that means those who are working with me, they have to, they have to take on responsibilities that I used to do because I am inundated with uh, so many meetings, uh, so many discussions with uh, other leaders, and trying to end the poverty in our community. So that is what um, the uh, civil unrest uh, did as far as I'm concerned. More responsibility and where much uh, much is required uh, on, on those who are in that position. So um, it humbles me. It has humbled me and uh, more, and, um, and it caused me to want to do more as far as uh, serving is concerned. Who put the hands up back here and back here? Can you go back here first and come back up here, okay? So on, on the way back here, you know, one of the questions, we talked about the uprising, and, and the uprising was 
almost had to be, given the conditions and the, the frustrations so many young people felt and the explosive thing that happens inside when you, when you get that angry. Because even most of the kids who were arrested on the, the night of the uprising at Pennsylvania North and around, most of them didn't have criminal records. They did. They were minor. Mm-hmm. These were just young people who exploded because they just flipped out and that, then they had enough. When you hear the stories, you understand. But in the process of that flipping out, the CBS was burned down. We're talking about bringing grocery stores in. So how hard is it now to talk to those kind of corporations if we want them here to come here, do you think? Well, I think it did a great job for CVS. They got all that news reporting, and uh, if you didn't know who CVS was, you knew <laughs> after <laughs> because CVS was shining on every channel, and, uh, and, and they received a great benefit with all that publicity. So, um, so it, it is, it, it, I don't think it's hard. When we have an Upton station, we have North Avenue station as far as uh, transportation is concerned, and Mondawmin. You have these three links uh, in and out. Um, that is a plus for our community. Right now, um, uh, the community, uh, Georgetown, would love to have a station in Georgetown. When they see the progress that's happening on 14th and U, when they have that station there now, right? They're eating out in the streets. I mean, anyone know anything about 14th and U? <laughs> oh my God, it's like night and day. That can happen here in Sandtown, and that's just what 50 miles away. That can happen here in Sandtown. We have to believe. So any person who want to invest, who do not invest in Sandtown, Winchester, they're going to find themselves saying to them, I, I was crazy not to jump on this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because CVS will build a, a, a better uh, CVS on the corner of North and, and, and Pennsylvania. They're not going anywhere. And that's the truth. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? All right. Um, I have a question. I, I apologize for arriving late. You know, I'm looking at what's happening in Fells Point and Canton and those areas, and the mayor and this city has given tax incentives to those organizations coming in there. Has anyone addressed the city council, the city of Baltimore, or the state of Maryland in reference to that to get these large stores and people to come into this area and invest? Yes, sir. We are working on that uh, on the 18th of this month across the street, St. Peter Clavers. These groups are coming together, and uh, we're boosting up One Baltimore along with Bill, and uh, we're going to change. We have to change. Baltimore have to change. It cannot be uh, um, uh, status quo any longer. Every urban city in the United States is a patty cake, ready to explode. <laughs> the same thing that happened in Sandtown could happen anywhere in urban United States. All it takes is one little spark, and it would happen. Look how much money we lost in this community. And the fear of people coming back into, into this community. 
it has to change. Their attitudes and everything have to change. The, the, the question the gentleman asked, though, was also about a, was also a political question, in that it, it, it's true that the investments are taking place in Canton and in Fells Point and in the Inner Harbor and in what they call South Baltimore now. What they, call, I mean, what they call Federal Hill used to be called South Baltimore. Mm-hmm. They're not happening in Sandtown. They're not happening in Edmondson Village. They're not happening in Forest Park, at, at, at Garrison Liberty Heights. They're happening other places. That I mean, that's what he was talking about. Trying to, the investment has to come here. Sure. Uh, I can take a stab at it. Recently, uh, we had uh, it was Congressman Elijah Cummins, uh, Representative Dutch Rupertsberger. Uh, right. Who's the senator? I, I'm terrible with these titles. Mikulski. Uh, not Mikulski came just recently. Uh, yes, senator Mikulski. Yes, uh, ben Cardin. I'm just mentioning this one particular visit, and they had the head of the Small Business Administration uh, appointee uh, by uh, President Obama <laughs> to come and have a, a dialogue and help to uh, map on And what they did not do, in my opinion, was get the voice of the community. But they had the meeting inside of the community. Uh, at our location, our head, church headquarters. On, so they were inside of Sandtown and with the promise, and we did have a chance to talk to them afterwards with the promise that they are coming to. And they talked about those incentives, and um, they talked about what happened in California because this lady was an expert in terms of uh, helping to build and bring back businesses, build new businesses and bring back businesses uh, based on her experience in the L.A. riot, during the L.A. riots of uh, it was the early 90s. Uh, and so they brought her in, and they wanted to meet here, and the goal is to uh, have more dialogue, but more importantly than that, hopefully put some action behind that dialogue uh, to bring these uh, efforts. And if I can, I didn't get a chance to answer Robert Doyle's uh, question about how I felt, and I'll be very quick. Uh, during the uprising, the riots, uh, as a man answering as a man, I'll answer it as a man born and raised here, uh, I was deeply saddened on that Monday uh, evening. I was deeply saddened, and I stood on this very corner to make sure that my brother, properly here, was safe against my neighbors uh, and was prepared to do so, uh, standing in between, physically in between them and this building. Uh, And so I was saddened, but being a man of faith also, after a while, that sadness sort of uh, reminded me of a pastor who stood across the street uh, as the fire department was putting out, placing... Uh, water to his burning structure and his friend walked up to him with tears in his eyes and he said man I'm so sorry your house that you had for all these years is burning down and the pastor stood there smiling he said why are you smiling he said can you imagine that new kitchen I wanted (laughs) you you understand what I'm saying can you imagine the rebuilding that will take place uh, because of folks uh, sitting to the left and right of me Uh, and myself and folks who are dedicated like that to have these things uh be back, and I do think CVS is coming back primarily because of what they saw on Tuesday morning, not just what they experienced on Monday evening. Mm-hmm. Probably said over here the many volunteers that came back and supported our community. Mm-hmm. There were more folk that came back to support our community to right. help rebuild and to show the true heart of 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 human beings the true heart of being humanitarians. In one day, uh, uh, when, when my structure was, was burnt down, they repaired it in one day, and you could walk past there and you wouldn't think that anything happened. The next that's, that's what 
need to, needed to be reported how people have the heart of God enough to come and help their, their, their fellow man, regardless of, of what you look like, uh, who you love, they were here supporting us to the hilt. Hi, my name is Patrick. Uh, I just want to thank you guys. Very um, inspiring to hear you all talk about um, uh, urban revitalization. Um, the guy in the middle, uh, what's your name? Uh, Antoine. Antoine. Sir. Hey, Antoine. Yes, sir. Um, are you from New Song? Yes, sir. Yeah, um, I'm from Faith Christian Fellowship. Okay. And uh, we worship with you sometimes. Yes. Um, I think every year. And uh, I remember doing a work project with Habitat for Humanity in Santown. Yes, sir. And I'll be volunteering with uh, with my own church in uh, Penn Lucy, where we're from. Yes. And um, I just I, I guess I just want to bring up the uh, the food and faith like connection, and talk about like you know different faith based organizations and how that can um, help restore the land and restore homes and communities, um, and also talk about you know like the aspect of like organ if it's organic practices. And maybe some of the environmental restoration with urban revitalization and uh, community rebuilding and the jobs and um, education. I, I know it's all connected, so I'm just wondering if you're if you're staying connected with the the modern movement with with all the different other organizations in Baltimore City um, with helping restore the land. Oh yeah, I, th I think that um, well I know for sure that. Uh, the the accomplishments that New Song and Newborn has experienced uh, in this community, uh, first and foremost, uh, the glory goes to God, but it was not built alone uh, by the residents and the leadership here. It, it takes partnerships. And one of the things I think that we're uh, pretty uh, abreast of uh, and um, pretty committed to is partnering with folks. Uh, we're careful about what those partnerships look like and who they are, but we're certainly uh, open to uh, partner with with folks. I mean, we have 328 houses, uh, and they weren't all built by the homeowner and the Habitat staff. We've seen 10,000 volunteers, be it individuals, be it churches, be it, in some cases, uh, governmental agencies that came uh, throughout the, you know, 20-plus years that Habitat has been doing work. Uh, and so uh, that's what we do. We're, we're smart in one regard knowing that we can't do it all by ourselves. And so we are certainly open. Uh, but it's always uh, wise, and it behooves any organization uh, or any individual, for that matter, to know who they're getting in bed with. Our brothers and sisters from China came here. Our brothers and sisters from Ireland came Japan, here. Papua Our New brothers Guinea. and sisters from Russia. Our brothers and sisters from Japan. They all came in our community supporting us in the 300-plus uh, homes that we have built uh, for home ownership here in our community. This is a great opportunity for faith people, and uh, we cannot be afraid. We have to get out of the box, cannot be afraid, and um, uh, 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 God teaches us that one chase a 1,000 and two put 10,000 to flight. And so... For the faith community, we really have to show us this is a wonderful, glorious opportunity God has given us to do work. I've got time for one very quick last question because we have to wind up the evening here. Uh, my name is Eric Lockett, and I'm actually an organizer for AFSC. And um, my focus now is Gilmore Homes. And essentially, we just basically uh, 
give out food every last Thursday, uh, every month. You know, it's a food desert. And um, well, I understand that um, you're nonprofit, but you distribute through good farms, which is for profit. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, we grow and we sell our food to uh, um, Big City Farm, and they distribute. Okay, okay. Uh, but we're growing, but in the process, which hasn't complete, we're not complete yet, we will have a uh, farmer's market okay. in the community. We're working with uh, um, no boundaries, okay. and, and, and the food that we grow will be dis, uh, distributed in this community. Because my question was, I'm in the process of galvanizing some resources, and I'm just kind of looking at what would be the probability of some of that food coming across the street. Well, come on, hang with us, brother. <laughs> okay. you're, you're here in Sandtown. You're one of us. All right. We really are out of time. I've got to I was thinking, but um, I was trying to do last year, was trying to get Gimmer Homes and Sandtown together as one. Yeah, we're one. You Um, take up a third of our community, brother. Gilmore Homes take up a third of our community. So we're one. And you're not isolated, and don't you feel like you are. I'm not feeling it. Don't even feel it, brother. And certain don't people that were presidents before me mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And you I'm did. trying to make a difference for Gilmer Homes because Fed Street gave up on Gilmer Homes. Well, you're and not isolated, They're not trying to do brother. too much for us, but I'm trying to make a difference for us myself. Oh, we need to right. see you. Re- Absolutely. I, I appreciate you. You're, Please. You're, you're the reason why gentrification hasn't happened yet, so I want to talk to you. That's right. That's why he brought me here. Yes, sir. I'm glad, glad he you did. came here. Please don't leave before we talk. And since we're doing this, I have one last piece right here. Reverend? Hi, I'm Christina, and I currently serve at the Church of the Redeemer in North Baltimore. God bless you. And um, first, uh, thank you so much for your leadership. And, and thank you for and, your um, financial support. Well, of I was us. just going to my question. Three specific concrete things, Elder Harris, that you need to make your vision reality. Oh, three um, so, things? So, yeah, so just I've, I've had so many people in my parish say, you know, we want to do something. What, what can we do? Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to be able to go back and say, Elder Harris said, boom, boom, boom. Well, first of all, we need your prayers. Mm-hmm. That's, that's first and foremost. I need, we need to know that you love us, <laughs> that, that, that we know that you're caring for us. We know that Redeemer is caring, caring for us. We, are, we, we, we know that. But um, uh, um, the expertise, is, uh, as far as your, your knowledge of, of business, uh, 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 those things that we're lacking of how to um, uh, get people off their kushtas and, and, and those things that we're educated in and how to... Um, Get folks motivated uh, to to want to do. Uh, I, I grew up on a story called Stone Soup. If y'all under, so, if you understand Stone Soup, you would understand our need. And it takes all of us to 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 to, to do it. It's not always finances, but in that you may see if I could get someone to invest in this. 
and how how we can work together in this this investment. Um, I, those are the three things that I I think. And if if you need me to define it more, I will I will talk to you. So and thank uh, you so very very much. As we as we wind up this evening, and I'll, let, I'll have a final word here in just a moment. Just say good evening, everybody. I'd, I'd like to turn to, to Melissa Kelly just for the final thought. You've been very quiet, but you've been taking it all in in the last 15, 20 minutes. Just give us a closing thought, Melissa. I mean, it's Father's I, Day. Father's Day. Coming actually, up. Coming up. I have a whole lot of hope and a whole lot of faith, just like Elder Harris said, that as long as we're sticking together and we've got each other's backs, that Sandtown will rebuild. And out of our organizations, like, we don't give up and we don't take – no for an answer like we'll be in front of city hall with a hundred people until you see us and until you hear us so we're gonna keep doing it and we're gonna keep fighting until we get the changes that we deserve first of all i want to thank melissa kelly thank you no bound coalition st peter flavor church thank you. antoine bennett newton song community church lbcw harris of course newborn holistic ministries who invited us to his house this evening for our Food and Faith Project. And thank you all for coming out. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our assistant producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramadan. Our engineer is Andrea Melvin. Our theme music is by Wall Matthews of Clean Cuts. Please send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. Podcast The Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Please visit us on the web at steinershow.org. Listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.